0: Case for argument is 22 1264 Baudette versus McDonough. Ms. Bay, please proceed.
1: May it please the court. The Veterans Court erred in granting the Baudet's petition for writ of mandamus, particularly given that it completely failed to grapple with the meaning of the term medical determinations. This is not just some throwaway or even ancillary term that can be ignored, like the Veterans Court did. Rather, Congress dedicated an entire subsection of the statute to specifying that Caregiver Act decisions are to be considered medical determinations. This is the crux of the merits of this appeal, and as we demonstrated in our briefs, and as Judge Falvey noted in dissent, VA's interpretation is the only one giving meaning to that term and the only one that does not belie common sense. The Baudettes have posited that the term medical determinations could refer to what's colloquially called the Colvin Rule um, as set forth in a veteran's court case, um, but as we demonstrated in our briefs, there's several problems with this. One is that there was no reason for Congress to have wanted to ensure that the Colvin Rule applied to caregiver program decisions, given that they already applied to all board decisions and that there was no reason to spe- specifically invoke the Colvin Rule in terms of just the Caregiver Act and as we noted in our briefs it would make no sense at all that caregiver act decisions are to be considered Can I medical ask a
2: question? De- i i understand your colvin rule yes. point but my question to you is should i really be looking am i supposed to be looking and saying what does this word mean or am i really supposed to by this case be looking at determining if congress is it congress's intent to not have judicial review for caregiver entitlement fairly discernible from the statute Isn't that the question I should be focusing on?
1: I think that there needs to be a focus on both. I think it's a cardinal rule. I I, I
2: think it's your, your, well, anyway, answer the question. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) Well, it is, you know, as the Supreme Court, and I think this court have stated, you know, primacy of text is first overall, and it's a cardinal rule that... Words in a statute should not be rendered mere supplusage, especially whereas here it's not just some throwaway or ancillary term. And as to your honor's question about the VJRA and whether there was an intent to displace um, Caregiver Act decisions from the scope of board review, I would say that the VA's interpretation is consistent with the, both the VJRA and with a congressional intent to displace that.
2: The, are you aware of any other statutes that purport to limit judicial review of agency action based on reference to words in a regulation? I mean, I searched. I couldn't find any. Have you found any?
1: Uh, I'm not aware of specific cases to that effect, but I don't think that that is even remotely fatal because, as I said before, medical determinations has to mean something. It's not something that can simply be ignored, and I think that... Again, given it just seems
2: ha- like an odd way to do it. I mean and let me back up a minute too. It's under the heading construction. What do you think construction, that kind of heading usually means? And are you aware of any I mean, I couldn't find any statutes either that limited judicial review in that kind of section.
1: i I think that here it's it's under the heading construction, and I think that means basically what it purports to mean, which is that all decisions under the caregiver Act, whether they may seem, you know, in layman's terms to be medical determinations or not, are to be considered medical determinations. And the only way in that which that makes sense and that would give effect to both that phrase and congressional intent is for that to refer to the VA regulation, which predated both the VJRA and the passage of that statute. There's simply no other reason for that phrase to be in there. And not just that phrase, but that entire subsection. And that even accords with um, well, the...
0: It, it just. it just seems
1: strange, uh, I'm not saying it's wrong, I think this is
0: a very hard case, but it seems strange to determine that the strong presumption in favor of paper judicial review is overcome by um, a, a section that uses the term medical determination because Congress must have known about this regulation and used it that way. If, if that is the entire intent of that section and you're saying there can be no other intent for it, Why wouldn't they just say no judicial review, doesn't it? Because the problem is, you all could change your reg any time. And then how would that affect that statutory section? So why wouldn't Congress just have said no judicial review? If if that's really 100% of the reason, and you could think of no other reason the word medical determination would be in the Caregiver Act in that way.
1: Well, I mean, first, I, I don't see any other way that medical determination could be construed in the Caregiver Act. I... Um, I think it's important to note that medical determination is a term of art as used in the regulatory, in VA's regulatory framework, and I'm not aware of medical determinations being used any other do way. You in, word,
0: do you think the word medical determination in the Caregiver Act is consistent with the term of art in the way the VA uses it? Absolutely. Okay, well, why don't we look at the regulation itself? Okay. So 20.104B, right? That's what we're talking about, correct? Yes. Okay, so the the second sentence says, the board's appellate jurisdiction extends to, are you with me there? Yes, yes. The board's appellate jurisdiction extends to questions of eligibility for, among other things, domiciliary
1: care. What does that mean? Uh, I I, I haven't looked at what VA has interpreted it to mean, but I would assume that to mean that it's uh, the care of the veteran in their domicile or, or residence. In-home care. Uh, I, I would assume so. That's correct. So is that not exactly what the Caregiver
0: Act is setting out to provide? Isn't the Caregiver Act, the entire purpose of it, to assess the needs for and to provide in-home care for the veteran? Oh, the,
1: the purpose of the Caregiver Act is to provide uh, certain benefits to the caregivers of uh, is it veterans for who are... in-home care to the veteran? Who are eligible. Is it for
0: in-home care to
1: the veteran? Uh, Yes, it is is related to in-home care of the veterans. So
0: you have the first sentence or second sentence of your regulation that says the board has appellate jurisdiction over decisions related to in-home care for the veteran. And then you're saying the next sentence says medical determinations are not matters for the board's jurisdiction. And so you're saying Congress intended to somehow, what, do away with the first sentence of your regulation? by saying in-home care to the veterans is not actually subject to juor- board jurisdiction, even though this very regulatory section says it is?
1: Well, I think the fact that it says, again, in the um, third sentence of the regulation that medical determinations are beyond the board's jurisdiction is more specific than the general- What about um, the general? Is, is it more, more,
0: more mm-hmm. specific than the domiciliary care words, which read directly on the Caregiver Act and the nature of the services provided thereby?
1: But again, the Caregiver Act is regarding um, care of veterans uh, by their caregivers, but it does have that phrase, construction and medical determinations." And where Judge
0: Stoll was going to go before I interrupted her is, what about the very next sentence? Typical example of these issues, issues which are medical determinations, include whether a particular drug should be prescribed, whether a specific type of physiotherapy should be ordered, similar judgment treatments about and similar judgment treatment decisions. Uh, I I don't understand how the Caregiver Act falls within those examples. Whether someone is entitled to in-home care is different from whether they should be bathed versus fed versus clothed versus... There's there's two different issues. Are you entitled to in-home care at all? And then what are the specific forms of in-home care you should be entitled to? And it seems like your regulation makes it crystal clear that the question of domiciliary care in general is for board review, but specific questions about the nature of the particular acts being provided would be the kinds of medical determinations that the board doesn't review with specificity.
1: And I I agree that there are examples. Do you agree with that? Do you agree with that? Yes, except for the fact that it just says typical examples. It's not a comprehensive listing of everything that... What about
2: the sentence above it where it says, medical determinations such as determinations of the need for an appropriateness of specific types of medical care and treatment for an individual? And then it gives examples. I mean, we can't just say medical determinations means anything in light of these two sentences in this regulation, right?
1: Well, I mean, I think the reason that you could say that medical determinations means anything under the Caregiver Act or Caregiver Act decisions is because... Again, Congress specifically... No, no. So
2: I think you're under the Caregiver Act. You're trying to say that the medical determination, as used under the Caregiver Act, is the same thing defined here in your regulation. So I, I'm just asking, in your regulation, don't we have to look at the word medical determinations and read it in light of the other language in the regulation? Which is quite extensive, actually.
1: It is, but it's not... I, I, but it's not. Um... I think restrictive, it says typical examples or such as. So it's giving examples of types of things that yes, might. but
0: whether you're entitled to in-home care doesn't fall into the such as. It isn't of the same, what is that language in trade cases, through generis or something like that. It's not of the same type. Um, and so what, what, what about this language should Congress have taken away that whether someone needs in-home care or not is a medical determination as opposed to the type of in-home care that they're, they're going to receive?
1: Well, I mean, I th- I think that, you know, again, there is this language in the regulation giving examples of types of medical determinations or descriptions of medical determinations, but I still think you can't get away from the fact that Congress had to have meant something by medical determinations and there's no other plausible explanation you all,
0: But you want me to assume by implication that what they meant was this was the type of medical determination that you articulate in the regulation. But that same regulation says domiciliary care decisions are available to the board, and that's exactly what the Caregiver Act is. So I'm really struggling, given, quite frankly, I think your argument is very confusing, because forget about the Caregiver Act. If I was asked to interpret this regulation on its face, forget about the Caregiver Act. I would conclude domiciliary care, and whether it should be awarded or not, is clearly something the board has jurisdiction over. Do you agree with that? If the caregiver didn't use the word medical determination, would you agree that there is no doubt it falls within the first portion of this regulation?
1: Um, I think that the reason that it might not that not all of the decisions under the caregiver act absent that language would fall under the regulation is because the very first part of the caregiver act does say it's the point of the caregiver act is to give assistance to the family givers not I think the hypothetical was to,
2: setting aside the caregiver act would you agree? Right. I mean, that's not, it's a hypothetical. Could you address sure. the hypothetical?
1: Yes, and I think if it were just strictly addressing the need for domiciliary care or the type of domiciliary care, that would be the case. But in this case, we're not addressing specifically the domiciliary care, but the whether the caregivers get certain benefits and assistance when the, um, veteran is already under that domiciliary care, so I don't think it's exactly the same thing. Could, I say I, into my I, I,
3: wanted, before we run out of time here, I've got a more fundamental question for you, and that is, why is the regulation, put aside the Caregiver Act, why is the regulation 104A consistent with the statute? What in the statute authorizes this regulation? Uh,
1: in the PCFC or in the VJ? Well, med- I mean,
3: medical care is a benefit Okay? The statute makes benefits reviewable by the board. Wh- how is it that this regulation is valid? Put aside the whole caregiver question, why, what, author- what in the statute authorizes this regulation? What part of the statute is being construed in this regulation to foreclose medical care determinations from uh, review by the board and by the veterans' court?
1: Well, this regulation, um, again, which predates the VJRA for some years, has has been valid since before the VJRA and has been been continued to (laughs) see.
3: Why? Why is it valid? What what provision of the statute authorizes this regulation?
1: Well, the VJRA again postdated the regulation, and the VJRA, as such, Congress was uh, presumably aware of this regulation when it enacted the VJRA, and under the regulation, certain types of decisions were never subject to board review. And then, consequently, when the VJRA came out and gave Veterans Court jurisdiction over board decisions, it already accounted for and encapsulated. I think, I think
0: that I think that maybe we're not getting clear communication. So, unless I'm mistaken, I think that what Judge Dyke is asking you is what statutory section gave the VA the authority to decide the board would have no review over some things like medical terminations. What statutory section allowed the VA to carve out jurisdiction from otherwise a very broad grant of jurisdiction in the statute itself? Is that what you were? I thought that was what you were getting at. So, um, so this has nothing to do with the BJA. Forget, forget the Caregiver Act in its entirety. What, Where did Congress give the Secretary the authority to decide if wouldn't have jurisdiction over certain questions?
1: Um, I'm not sure uh, exactly the genesis of the original VA regulation. Do you but know
2: what the implementing uh, re- statutes are that the regulation identifies?
1: Uh, I don't have that available. It's, it's
2: 38 U.S.C. Section 511 and 38 U.S.C. Um, 7104.
1: Right, and 511 does hold that decisions of the VAR are to be held as conclusive and final, with certain exceptions, such as those enumerated in section 72 of the VJRA. And I think the predecessor to 511 was section 211, and those um, and 511 is still good law and is still on the books. And again, I would say that the VJRA. But what,
2: what language in there are you relying on? For support for the authority to uh, make medical determinations not applicable.
1: Well, um, <clears throat> I do believe that, at the very least, and I know that this is uh, not in the statute, but in the claims court, uh, the court decided in 1985 in Slotnick that the reason for 211, which is the predecessor to 511, was to prevent. Technical and complex medical determinations engendered in such claims from burdening the courts with the obligation of judicial review. So, again, it's a very long standing history of medical determinations not being subject to board review, and that was not nullified by the VJRA and the Caregiver Act Congress. But what
2: back- language in the VJRA are you relying on for that conclusion that it wasn't nullified?
1: Because the VJRA, uh, because Congress had presumptive knowledge of that regulation, and so there was nothing in the VJRA that would have nullified absent language or intent to do so, uh, what was then 211 and what's now 511, as well as the VA regulation, given that they would have already had knowledge of that. Um, I see I'm- Doesn't, well, doesn't Section
2: 511 say the secretary shall decide all questions of law and fact necessary to his decision by the secretary under a law that affects the provision of benefits by the secretary, right? Yes. So it's any provision of benefits. Do you agree the Caregiver Act is providing benefits?
1: Uh, it, it is pro- providing certain benefits to the caregivers. Of and
2: benefits. the veteran.
1: I think specifically, it's providing the benefits to the caregivers, but the veteran.
2: Which in a benefits it to the veteran, right? Sure. Okay.
0: Um, I have a question that isn't related to the language, but it's more related to process. Can you please help me understand um, what the current state? of um, these issues are with regard to ongoing cases. For example, in the brief, someone said that as of, I think, November of 2022, more than 430,000 notices of uh, appeal rights were extended to veterans because of decisions under the Caregiver Act. So I want to know if you can help me understand where, what is the current state of all of that, and I don't mean each individual decision of course, I just mean <laughs> how, roughly how many, that was as of November of 2022, or more than a year fast forward, how many notices have been issued, um, what is the status of those cases, are they docketed, are people filing them, Is has the board decided some, I mean what what's going on now, because if I understand the facts right, prior to this mandamus, uh, the board was never dis- deciding caregiver act related cases and that now there's been a slew of notices and other things. So I just I want to know the lay of the land. What what is the impact of this then?
1: So um, my understanding from talking to VA about this is that, you know, as you mentioned, um, the they did decide to not stay the uh, court's order on the mandamus, and so they did start to allow board appeals of PCAFC decisions, and as you noted, that there's been... Um, somewhere north of 400 uh, appeals and decisions issued by the board, and the most of them were actually- Wait, uh, 400 or 400,000? Sorry, 400, not 400,000. Wait, I thought,
0: I thought, there were, I thought some, somewhere I read there was 400,000 notices of appeal.
1: Um I don't have that with me. What I have is that as of, a, of some months ago, there were 400-something decisions by the board. Oh, that's decisions team. by the board. Oh, okay. okay. Keep in mind, there's
0: never to be decisions by the board and notice to people who may be eligible to bring cases before the board, right? It's red brief number fifth, page 15. Let's look okay, at your face, Or the red brief, page 15. Let's flush this out. that Footnote, or maybe not, but actually in the text that cites footnote,
1: yes, I think in the footnote, um, yeah, the text says there have been
0: the veteran VA has sent out over 430,000 notices to veterans and caregivers,
1: yes, but that includes any veterans and caregivers who at any time had applied to their caregiver program. So I don't know exactly how many of those people who were sent notices. Um, decided to appeal to the board, but what we do know is that the board has issued um, somewhere north of 400 decisions uh, as of a few months ago.
3: How have those come out?
1: Um, Most of them were actually just remands for the purposes of curing notice and or obtaining uh, a more specific statement because I think that uh, most of those decisions that were appealed to the board had been issued prior to the Veterans Court's decision in mandamus, and so I don't think that those decisions were uh, necessarily set up for a board review, so it had to remand back for things such as curing notice or issuing um, a statement of the case for the board to be able to fully consider
2: it. In other words, they had to provide a more fulsome analysis? Or why a, there was a denial,
1: or a notice. But I don't think that I think as my no, numbers have been that there are only um, as of at least the end of 2002 that there were only seven actual grants uh, by the board. 2002? Sorry, 2022. Okay, I'm all right. Yes, there are seven grants. Um, at least, yes, as of as of several months ago. Although apparently two of those grants were subsequently vacated. Um, and then the remaining five grants were grants for higher tier and stipends what, but so very what happened in Mr.
0: Baudet's case
1: so what happened in Mr. Baudet's case is that uh, the Baudet's um, I think tried to appeal to the board the VA had not issue or they filed a notice of disagreement which is a precursor to appealing to the board and after the Baudet's had filed their petition the VA determined to um, Issue a statement of the case and, and reconsider the eligibility, and the Baudets were found eligible. So they never actually did appeal to the board or receive a board decision. Oh, okay.
0: So the secretary, secretary. So just out of curiosity, why is it that that doesn't move this case?
1: Um, there's a few reasons. I think the biggest one is that, um, you know, this is certainly something that's capable of evading review, particular since particularly since the VA is not allowed to appeal from board decisions. So it would be a, a harm capable of evading review and certainly capable of occurring again, given that this is not just a decision by the Veterans Court that applies to the Beaudettes, but applies you know, across to the entire Caregiver Act. So I think that's one reason it wouldn't be mooted. Another reason is that, at least my understanding, and counsel can correct me if I'm mistaken, but that another um, another claimant was added to the class uh, for the purposes of ensuring that, that this wasn't muted. Uh, okay, so another
0: question I have with regard to this is, um, why didn't the board act? How And how long did it take before the mandamus was sought? And what I mean by that is, if the board believed it had no jurisdiction over the caregiver appeal, why didn't it dismiss the caregiver appeal for lack of jurisdiction? Why did it do nothing?
3: Yeah, to follow up on that, 104A contemplates that the board is going to issue jurisdictional rules, and so why didn't that happen?
1: Um, My understanding, um, obviously I can't (coughs) speculate as to the board's internal process, but my understanding is that uh, the Baudets tried to, just looking for where I put this. uh, They
3: tried to bring the matter to the board, but the board didn't do anything, right?
1: Yes, they they tried to appeal to the board. The board did not act, I believe, because the VA never issued a statement of the case. And then after the petition, the VA um, issued the Bodette's favorable decision in response to the Bodette's notice of disagreement. So I think that the board... Um, didn't consider the appeal because the VA didn't respond to the notice of disagreement. Uh, I do believe that in other ca- so there are the Bodette's decision where the board never issued a decision. Uh, my understanding is and unfortunately I don't have the case names in front of me, but there were other claimants in a similar situation to the Baudet where their case did make it to the board and the board did, did issue a decision um you know, predating the Veterans Court's order that it did not have jurisdiction under the PCAFC to consider. Their and cases.
0: I, I realize that you had a lot to have to prepare for for today. So if you don't know this, then don't worry. It's kind of a very tangential question. But do you know how long it was? Like, what? I don't. I don't know the timing in this case. Like, so the Baudets uh, filed um, a notice of appeal, right, at some point. Um, and are you you're saying the VA didn't respond to that notice of appeal, or is that am I am I understanding those facts right?
1: Uh, yes, my understanding is that the board <clears throat> received, first went through the clinical uh, appeals process, was denied at both levels. Apparently they sought to appeal the final uh, VHA clinical appeals process in August of 2019. And then... Um, That's thought
0: to appeal that to the board? Is that the appeal to the board, August of 2019?
1: Uh, that, that is what um, the uh, Bodette's brief states, yes. Oh, okay. um, and they cite Appendix 1267 to 1273 and then didn't receive a response and then approximately um, 10 or 11 months later uh, filed a petition for writ of mandamus. So... Why,
0: why didn't you seek to expedite this appeal or get a stay? I mean, and, and I just, I'm, I'm baffled. I'm truly baffled. If the government thought it should prevail, why in the world would you all send 430,000 notices to people saying they have appeal rights? I mean, I, I have to say, I mean, I know I'm not supposed to maybe look at that as evidence that you thought your case was weak. But I don't know how else to interpret it because you've now created a scenario in which you gave 430,000 veterans an expectation of review when you're claiming they shouldn't have one. I feel like that makes it harder to overturn the apple cart since you put some horses
1: on it and took it into an impoverished area. Yes. Um, I mean, certainly that was, you know, without divulging too much about the internal process, certainly that was something that was discussed, whether to whether to seek a stay. But, but you didn't um, even ask
0: for expedited appeal.
1: You, uh, you didn't
0: even. So you, you now, now only get 430,000 notices. That's more than a year ago. You've got over 400 decisions, some of which awarded benefits. So what now if we say there's no review? those veterans now lose the benefits that the board decided they were entitled to because it turns out the board never had review authority and therefore shouldn't have overturned the negative ruling that they got?
1: Uh, my understanding is that the board's, um, I think, very few number of grants of higher level benefits would not be reversed at this point. Um, so even your if- your the- data is
0: only as of the end of 2022 and we're now at the end of 2023.
1: Yes, I, I don't have the exact uh, numbers of... Could I ask you to f- get
0: that and submit it to the court? I,
1: I will try to look for that, yes. I, I mean after this. I don't mean during this. No, oh, yes. <laughs> I mean make a
0: submission to the court that gives me updated numbers on, if possible, the number of notices of appeals that have uh, been sent out, the number of cases filed with the board, if that's possible. Whatever is obtainable. I'm not asking for Herculean efforts, Ms. Bay. I'm just saying whatever the VA could provide in the way you seem to know readily that there have been 400 decisions as of the end of 2022 and that seven of them forwarded benefits. So obviously that was ascertainable. Is there any way to update that information to reflect through you know, the current time.
1: Yes, I will, I will certainly. But not Herculean efforts, right? <laughs> you know, and um, so if you could update that, that would be useful. So, is, is there so, a date? Is there an answer certain... to the
3: question of why you didn't seek a stay?
1: Uh, <laughs> yes, I, I believe that... Um, it was in conjunction with the Secretary himself and with the agency and DOJ um, to decide and, and go forward uh, and not seek the stay. We did did not believe that the stay would be successful, so we just decided to go ahead and appeal.
2: What about expedite, expediting? Why was there no attempt to expedite?
1: You? I um, – I, I believe the idea was discussed briefly. I, I can't answer why we determined to uh, simply go through a, a regular level of appeal. But I do think that, that this also highlights, and I know this is delving into a different area um, of the case, but you know about also the whole issue of the Baudet's right to mandamus outside of the merits and, and their ability to have sought review, um, which actually would have come to a speedier resolution had they brought a 502 petition instead. But let
3: me ask you about 502. There, There's no regulation that's being reviewed. It's just an interpretation of the regulation.
1: Well, there's no regulation. So
3: so does 502 apply to interpretations of
2: regulations?
1: I think that 502 would apply because 502 allows direct review um, for actions of the Secretary in which um, Sections 552A and 553 um, take place, and 553, to my knowledge, is just – has to do with rulemaking, not the regulation uh, published itself. And VA did undergo a rulemaking process and did state specifically in both its 2015 and 2020 final rules do that. You have
3: cases under 553 that have allowed interpretations that came out of rulemaking to be reviewed.
1: Uh, I'm not aware of a specific uh, case uh, to that point, but I do say I will say that. You know, 502 allows review in this court directly of VA rulemaking, uh, so I don't think it's necessary that VA would have had to implement a specific... So you don't review. have a case? I, I don't have a case in front of me. I also know that in the Sullivan case, which is a related case that stayed, uh, but addressing a very similar issue, what the Sullivans did is um, petition VA for rulemaking, finding that um, that PCAFC decisions were subject to board review, and, and VA denied that, and the Sullivan's are using that as the nexus for their. Well, or, that didn't happen. Here. That didn't happen here. But again, we're not contending that the Bodets would have had to petition for rulemaking, but rather that it could have relied on the VAs. 2015 and or 2020 rulemakings as um, the impetus for their 502 petitions. And again, I would say that even if they had petitioned for rulemaking, I think that this court addressing the issue directly would have led to a speedier resolution than going through the VA in the first
3: so place. So why wasn't the regulation amended after the Caregiver Act?
1: Uh, you mean 20.104? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that there was any reason to amend the regulation after the I'll caregiver.
3: There's been some reasons to amend the regulation, given that it seems not to apply to this situation.
1: Well, we certainly, I mean, VA's understanding is that the regulation does apply to this situation. And and certainly if this court um, determines to uphold the Veterans Court's decision, I can't say what VA or Congress will do. Uh, in response to that, but at the time that the PCAFC and its amendments were passed, VA's interpretation was that subsection C referred to the rule and therefore exempted PCAFC decisions from board review, uh, I mean, and therefore there was no normal reason to amend. of course,
3: that an agency, given a confusing regulation which on its face appeared not to apply to caregiver decisions, would amend the regulations to fix it. Well, that I, didn't happen. I don't understand why. Well, again, I, mean, I, I disagree. Instead, instead of this interpretation in the Federal Register, very strange. I,
1: I, I can't speak to exactly why VA didn't amend, but I would disagree that the regulation is, is confusing. It specifically does exempt medical determinations from uh, board review, and Congress specifically construed Caregiver Act decisions as Medical determinations. Um, I see. I'm. I, I, if the court has no more questions, I'm not sure if I get any time on yeah, the phone. You your vote. All right.
0: It's thank you. Case. We want to try and figure it out. Thank you. Thank you. Um, can you. tell me how to say your name, counsel. Uh,
4: Timofeev.
0: Oh, you're gonna to have to say it again.
4: <laughs> i so, sorry, I have
0: Mr. Timofeev, please proceed.
4: Thank you, Anna. It may please the court. I'd like to focus so on this about question.
3: 104, what about one oh four A? Is that a valid regulation please to one side the caregiver
4: Your Honor, we, we haven't challenged the regulation. I understand. The question is, is it valid? We're not sure. We're not sure it is. We don't think we don't think it's valid, um, if, the, if the issue was before the court. The the regulation itself sets two things. If we win the regulation falls to I'm sorry, Honor? If
3: you win this case the regulation falls as well?
4: We can, uh, it could, but we can also win this case with even with the regulation on the books, and I'm happy to, to explain, you know, how that could be. Okay,
3: do that. Tell me what the difference is between the regulation and the interpretation of the regulation in terms of statutory authority.
4: Absolutely, Your Honor. So if we look at the regulation, it, as I think Chief Judge Moore already observed, It expressly says that the the board's appellate jurisdiction extends the questions of eligibility such as for hospitalization, for home and domiciliary care, and also for devices. You're
3: you're not addressing my question. My question is statutory authorization for the regulation. Forget about parsing the regulations applied to the Caregiver Act. What is the statutory authority for this regulation, and how does it differ from the interpretation that the VA has placed on the regulation with respect to the Caregiver
4: Act. So, under the statutory for the statute that the regulation itself cites as authority, it cites um, section five eleven A and Section Seventy one zero four. We think the regulation the regulation actually seems inconsistent with Section Seventy one zero four because that section says that all final decisions for the Secretary shall be made by the board. And then this regulation withdraws a subset of decisions from divorce jurisdiction. So in that sense it doesn't seem inconsistent. But this court doesn't doesn't actually need to invalidate the regulation. No, because we
3: have to worry about being consistent and uh, if if your uh, victory in this case is going to throw out the regulation, that's lends even more significance to what we're doing.
4: You know that is right. But I think we <coughs> we just, can actually work with, without
0: I just want to say one thing. You didn't file a 502 action challenging this regulation we did not did you? and you didn't argue in your brief anywhere that i could see that this regulation is invalid is that correct
4: you wanted that is correct we are not challenging the regulation i was i was answering judge dais question as to... so now
0: am i also correct in understanding that this regulation could stand completely and continue to be operable whether valid or not for another case to decide potentially but it has nothing to do with your argument because your argument is the words "medical determinations" in the Caregiver Act aren't predicated on this regulation.
4: Absolutely, it. and for and for two reasons. One deals with regulation. One deals with a with actually the actual language of section C1. So regulation itself, the uh, the scope of what constitutes a medical determination on regulation is very but narrow. What's
3: the, what's the distinction between the two? I'm trying to understand. If we're going to render a decision in your favor, I want to know whether the effect of that decision down the road is going to invalidate 104A. What's the distinction? Is there an argument for preserving 104A while invalidating this interpretation that includes the Caregiver Act uh, within 104A?
4: Yes, Your Honor. So looking at the Caregiver Act, Section C1, actually, it doesn't say that all decisions on the Caregiver Act shall be medical determination. It only says decisions affecting the furnishing of assistance or support shall be medical determination. Those, that's a discrete set of decisions concerning the provision of care or treatment. It doesn't actually extend to determinations of eligibility, which often have nothing to do involve no medical judgment. For instance, the, whether the caregiver is a stepchild or the veteran, whether he is a non-family member living with the veteran uh, and therefore is, is a family member under the statute, that involves no clinical judgment or ju- you know, judgmental treatment. So those eligibility determinations are not actually review of those as board review of those is not prohibited under section C1, and then the regulation itself, the meaning of what is what constitutes medical determination under the regulation is there in error. It's really just the judgmental treatment decisions, and so there can be medical decisions that do not that are not really judgmental treatments. I mean, the board the board reviews questions of disability, reviews such questions which are which are medical, such as whether a veteran has PTSD, whether the veteran has depression, that has never presented a problem for the board. It is, if you look at the understanding of medical information under the RAC and under Colvin, it's a very narrow subset of decisions, which are based on on the clinical physician's treatment decisions, that the board actually does not have the expertise to review. And then the regulation itself, actually, again, it vests the board with jurisdiction of questions of eligibility for hospitalization, for common domiciliary care is, for is, devices such as wheelchairs. Is
0: your argument, um, so in this case, uh, the Bodettes were um, in fact not even granted a decision by the board, but suppose that it had been dismissed. Is your argument that in the Vaudets case, since their claim was to give entitlement to domiciliary care in general, that that would have been appealable even um, under this regulation?
4: We believe that under this regulation, it, it should have been appealable because what the what the what the VA's decision was, the VA said that they were not eligible. Well, initially okay. they were found eligible. Then the decision in right, two thousand eighteen in right. February. He took here. away
0: after he was had the two surgeries and couldn't show up to the appointment. Right. So, um, but so I guess what I'm saying to you is, at least in the context of this case, that your argument is it goes under the first sentence. And it would be different. Would you agree that under this regulation, the Bodec appeal would not be – the board would not have jurisdiction over it under this regulation if, for example, the question wasn't are they entitled to in-home care? But should the in-home care offer bathing services or uh, only transportation – you know, the nature of the precise type of treatment that he was going to get at home is – is that what would fall within the medical determinations language by virtue of the regulation? Forget about the statute. If this were just under the regulation, would you agree that individual, nuanced decisions about what types of treatments he was entitled to within the home—those treatment decisions—would fall under the medical determinations rubric and not be available to the board? You,
4: Joanna, yes. It's it's hard to, to speak in, the, in the hypotheticals, I know, but, but but taking taking on us hypothetically, yes, we would agree, and that's that's indeed the distinction. And actually, but. In any case, it would be for the board to make that determination because the regulation says that only, I'm quoting from the 1992 version, which was in effect when the Caregiver Act was passed, but the current regulation says almost the same, the only the Board of Veterans Appeals will make final decisions with respect to jurisdiction. And the regulation also says all claimants have the right to appeal a determination made by the VHA that the board does not have jurisdictional authority to review a particular issue. So now... Uh, let me give you like an example based based so, on so, the statute.
3: So, let me be clear about what you're saying. Are, are, are you interpreting uh, this construction provision of the Caregiver Act as having limited applicability in terms of precluding uh, board review? And you're saying it doesn't. Even the statutory language doesn't apply to the situation that we're dealing with here. Is that the point that you're making?
4: That is exactly right, Judge Dyke, because the statute only applies to, again, the, the, the language of a statute is to decisions affecting the furnishing of care. So these are decisions about a particular type of treatment or particular type of support that the caregiver shall get. It doesn't extend the question of eligibility. If Congress wanted to pr- Wait, preclude- you
0: it doesn't. You mean the regulation doesn't. I just want to make sure I'm tracking what you're saying.
4: No, absolutely. Um, so you so, need the, a statute, so- So the statute itself, Section C1, okay. only says that w- what will be considered medical determination are decisions affecting the furnishing of assistance or support. So decisions of eligibility are not really decisions affecting the treatment of support. They don't affect the provision of support or assistance. They, they uh, predicate determinations. If Congress wanted to say that no decision on the caregiver program shall be reviewable by the board, it could have used the language it used in the VA Mission Act, where it says that these will be clinical determinations not subject to the board review. It didn't do it here. So this court has, in order to give meaning to section C1, it has to, it has to actually say that, that, the, that the term that the reference to decisions affecting the furnishing of assistance to support is more narrow than all decisions made under the Caregiver Act. And we think that the regulation supports that construction, because the regulation says the board shall have jurisdiction over. Decisions, questions of eligibility for hospitalization, inpatient treatment, and for other benefits administered by the Veterans Health Administration—that's the exact agency that administers the caregiver benefits. And so, is your
2: position that that language about what the board has jurisdiction over is also consistent with the VJRA, right?
4: It is absolutely consistent. I mean, the VJRA is a general background. It says that there will be there will be provision, there will be judicial review from all decisions by the board. And then obviously section uh, 7104 says that all final decisions by the secretary shall be rendered by the board. So So you're, I'm
0: sorry, did you finish? finish?
4: Yes, so so we think that that when Congress passed this law, it passed it against the general background of DGRA. And and, and certainly if Congress wanted to take such a momentous step as to preclude all board review and all judicial review of all decisions under the Caregiver Act, it would have used a more clear language than just said, said the term medical determination without explaining what it meant, without even referencing this regulation. Could and you, But uh, even if Congress really looked at the regulation, the regulation itself doesn't foreclose all decisions of eligibility from the board review, and it says that it is the board that will determine what is reviewable by the board and what is not under this regulation. And we can give effect to the statute
3: in terms of preclusion of board review, but interpret it in a way that's limited and doesn't apply to the Baudet situation.
4: Absol- absolutely, Your Honor. And one example is in the second level of review for the Bodettes, the, they actually received a decision saying that the, uh, the BHA could not determine whether or not Mr. Baudet was um, unable to perform activities of a daily living because he did not, there was no, no in-person exam. I mean, it's hard to say how that is actually, that, that rationale involves some kind of clinical judgment or judgmental treatment. The first level denials that he, he received provided no reason whatsoever. And actually, uh, partially responding to Judge Moore, your question to, um, to my friend earlier, in terms of how many decisions were issued by the board. Um, so we, we, we can, we ran the same search of public databases of the board that, um, we ran last year, and it's, uh, you know, in, it's on page 53 of our brief. At the time, we found 250, slightly over 250 decisions where the board remanded cases to the to the VHA, because it actually said these the, the decisions were conclusory and did it could not Did you
2: redo that search at we all? We did that
4: search yesterday. We came okay. up with um, around the 1,000 decisions. These so, are
2: 1,000 decisions, many of which are remand decisions. It's
4: 1,000 remands. Okay. 1,000 remands. And I will give actually one, just one example, and we can we can provide citations, submit the decision to the court. There was one decision where the board said, well, the VHA denied the veterans eligibility for caregiver benefits on the basis of an inter- its regulation that this court subsequently invalidated in um, veteran bo- in 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 warrior veterans. And so the board said, well, this, obviously these benefits cannot be denied because the rationale was a reliance on the on, the, on the regulation that the court, that this court has, has struck down. Again, that does not. There is no reason why that decision cannot be made by the board. There is nothing clinical to that decision. There is no judgmental treatment element. There is really nothing medical to, to such a decision. So again, we think, even putting aside whether this regulation is, is valid, and we did not challenge it. We think that there is a way to read the statute, both you know given the meaning of a narrow scope of Section C1, which does not extend to eligibility uh, decisions, and also giving given meaning to even to the regulation on which the government relies. So even assuming that when Congress passed this law, it intended to really codify or you know somehow recreate the entire scope of this this regulation, this regulation only exempts from the board review very narrow subset of decisions and expressly authorizes the board to review questions of eligibility and to make determinations what is reviewable by the board or what is not reviewable within the scope of the regulation.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased with your argument. It has uh, done a very nice job of saying how everything can be consistently interpreted. Um, can I ask whether you think the argument you're making today... Is consistent with what the Veterans Court held with regard to all of this because I read the Veterans Court decision as more broadly stating board review authority than what you are what you've argued for us today is some Caregiver Act decisions may not be eligible for board review. Some caregiver decisions, maybe, and you even gave us some examples of the ones that don't involve. I think you, the words you used were "nothing clinical, no judgmental treatment" kind of thing. So you you've struck a, a balance, which is a very appealing balance to me. I don't think that's what the Veterans Court held, though. And I'm a little so I don't know that we can sort of necessarily affirm their you we know, can affirm your, their decision, but not their legal interpretation. Is that fair? Do you think they went further? than what you've argued to me today in articulating what should be subject to board review coming out of the caregiver program?
4: No, no, I think the question, to be fair to the veterans court, the question before the veterans court was narrow. Whether well, to be not fair
0: to the veterans court, they probably didn't have this level of advocacy either. <laughs> uh, no, seriously. I mean, you know, and just like if it goes from here to the Supreme Court, you'll get even better.
4: It is It is my <laughs> colleague who argued before the veterans court that he he. I thought, I thought he, he, he did an, ex- an excellent job there, but but, but I take you on this point. But the question before the Veterans Court was, I think, quite narrow. The question was, does Section C one's reference or use of the term medical determination withdraw all withdraw board review and judicial review? And on that question, the Veterans Court, I submit, the Veterans Court was correct. I mean, this section does not withdraw all all board and all judicial review of all decisions under the Caregiver Act. I mean, there is no way to read the statute of the regulation to accomplish what the Veterans Administration argues. Now, the Veterans Court did not then kind of like take the next step and said, okay, you know, let us, let us see if we can construe the statute. You know, uh, and give you know, give meaning to the statutory words. See if it can be read consistently, consistent with that regulation. Now, this court can do that because these are these are obviously like legal questions. Um, I think the secretary actually argues the secretary argues that the veterans court couldn't should have done that. Um, I mean, this court can do it because it's it has the expertise in construing statutes, construing regulations, and seeing if both can be reconciled. Uh, but, you know, in fairness to the Veterans Court, yes, the Veterans Court did not actually look and say, okay, how do we construe precise language of Section C1? Um, you know, is there a way in which, you know, that can, the, our construction can be consistent with the regulation, or does the regulation have to be, you know, struck down because it's inconsistent with the Caregiver Act? That the Veterans Court didn't do. But its decision on whether or not board review and judicial review was precluded altogether by this cryptic, somewhat cryptic reference to medical determination, I mean, on that, on that decision, the Veterans Court correct.
0: Um, would, I'd like to ask that uh, you and the government, if possible, coordinate some sort of either joint or simultaneous filing. Uh, why don't we say no longer than a week, you know, limited to, say, 10 pages each, but did, where you articulate the current, I'm looking for the current state of the statistics regarding this. This is not an opportunity for additional argument. You can't follow up with, oh, in the oral argument, I said this, let me clarify. Just the statistics, how many, you know, how many notices of appeal, how many board decisions, how many resolutions, how many resulted in favorable outcome for for the veteran, whatever. But, you know, statistics. Can I ask you all to hopefully coordinate a single filing? And if you're, I will judge both of you if you're not capable of that, but I hope you are. If you're not capable of a single joint filing, then you can each file simultaneously within one week.
4: You wonder, that is that is up to the find. We would be happy to coordinate with with the secretary. They obviously, they have the data, but they have been actually providing statistics, you know, over the court, you know, providing both statistics and the notices to us during this process. I know, since and, I'm not
0: looking for argument, I'm looking for pure facts. I feel absolutely. like you've got to be able to come together on that. Those. No,
4: abso- absolutely, we would. If if yeah, we would be would be happy to work together with the government to provide that for the court. Thank well,
3: you. Well, she has replied.
0: Well, no, I know, but i meant for him. No,
4: no. <laughs> no. Uh, unless there are questions, uh, I mean, about Chevron deference of Section 502, but we we happy to rest on our briefs so or to set on those points.
0: Very good. Let, let's
4: uh, give uh, Miss Bay her rebuttal
1: time, please. Thank you, <clears throat> Thank you, Your Honor. Thank uh, you, Your Honor. Just a few points of clarification. Um,
3: what did you think of the suggestion? Sorry? What did you think of the suggestion about interpreting the statute?
1: I, I disagree with it. I would first note that this is a new argument that I don't believe was mentioned in either of their briefs or by the veterans court. This is or, a question
0: of law, and we have to determine yes. what the statute means. <laughs> I could go with something different
1: than what either of you are. Sure, um, and I, I think that uh, especially I, where I just want to
2: note that you have emphasized how important it is that the word medical determinations be given some meaning, and there is now there is some meaning. So what do you think of this interpretation?
1: I don't think that this – I I don't agree with Mr. Timofeo's interpretation. It does say a decision by the secretary under this section affecting the furnishing of assistance or support. But we do believe that that encapsulates basically all um, assistance or support decisions under the Caregiver Act. These are already veterans who are receiving family caregiver support. And so everything that affects that, uh, which is assistance for family caregivers of the eligible veterans, would fall under affecting the furnishing of assistance You're or support. Saying, are you
0: sure, I mean, you you know, this is, is this a completely new concept to you? Because if it is, maybe take a breath. It no, we seems like a really reasonable position, and how does it not give the VA everything it wants in that the board can still decide what amounts to Clinical or judgmental treatment, and therefore isn't subject to review, which uh, I think 104A says the board's entitled to decide what it has jurisdiction over, and it could put all kinds of clinical judgment decisions in that category, but just sort of giant eligibility decisions, of like the couple of examples he gave, and you're already saying those things won't be unsettled if we uh, people have gotten, but if, why is not His position, and I know you haven't had a chance to think about it, and and that's a totally fair decision. But, But why is your answer no, we still disagree with it? It sounds so good.
1: Well, we <laughs> we think, I mean, yes, this is this is isn't a new argument, so I'm sort of considering it off the cuff, but we have, you know, obviously read through the statute, and we believe that any decisions regarding eligibility, amounts of stipends, that sort of thing, are decisions affecting the furnishing of assistance or support, and therefore um, would all be considered medical determinations. We also believe that, consistent with the Supreme Court's decision in George, that medical determination is a term of art within okay, the DHA. Okay, let me give you two choices. Yes. Choice number one, the VA is affirmed,
0: and the words medical determination are some colloquial thing, and we think your regulation um, does not put the domiciliary care into the non-reviewable category because it expressly exempts it from medical determination. So it seems wackadoo to think that Congress intended to overcome the strong presumption of judicial review by reference to a regulation which, on its face, would have these kinds of decisions fall within board review. So that's position number one. And position number two is the really reasonable interpretation of all things that he just advocated. Which one do you want?
1: Um, (laughs) Well, I mean, if... It had to come between those two. Obviously, we would prefer the second to the first. But I actually okay, do have a point. that
0: Sound like really good too for everybody. Like, what's the downside?
1: Well, I mean, I think the downside is it's it's simply not what Congress intended, and it's simply not okay, how the but, st- but
0: I don't. But, what, what this, what this, you've never made what I find very interesting: the administrative nightmare argument. Why? Why haven't you made the argument to us that Congress didn't intend this? Because it would overwhelm the board with all of these potential new cases. Um,
1: I believe, and I don't have the page of the brief exactly handy, but I did believe we did make an administrative um, argument that it would overwhelm the board if the VA's if the Veterans Court's decision were to remain in place. What
0: What is the nature of uh, how how many how many appeals does the board get a year? You know, like um, I'm not asking you, by the way, I'm not now giving you license in that filing to make (laughs) arguments about how it's going to overwhelm, but you can include numbers if you would like, and of course, he has the right to weigh in, too. One, here are the number of board appeals normally, here are the number of appeals this would be, that kind of thing to add. Because, I mean, I really, I do want to understand that. I want to understand the impact of the decision you make, but recognize that impact of the decision we make doesn't mean that everybody who gets a notice of appeal necessarily is going to be able to make the board appeal or be successful because his articulation gives the VA and the board the authority to decide what's in his jurisdiction and not, and all of those clinical judgments, you guys would decide or not, and then they go away and they stop getting filed. As soon as you set the landscape clearly, then, you know, you're not going to have an overwhelming number of decisions.
1: Um, yes, again, I, I don't, at least off the cuff, we, we don't agree, but we understand what you're coming from, and we do think it's better than invalidating, invalidating the regulation completely. I well, do I mean, want I, to I point out... I don't think that was
0: ever on the table. How How, how is invalidating the regulation on the table? There's no 502 challenge here. Oh,
1: no, I don't think it's on the table, but I think Your honours asked me, or Judge Dyke had mentioned that if... I think he had mentioned to uh, the Baudets if they thought that they won the case, whether the regulation would fall. So I was just raising it as a matter of that. We don't think the validity of the reg- regulation is on the table, and we don't think that the regulation is invalid at all. Um, the last thing I wanted to do is just touch on the domiciliary care point. Um, it was clarified to me by VA um, when Mr. Timofei was speaking that the domiciliary – and I don't, unfortunately, have all the citations with me um, – but that the domiciliary care in the uh, – regulation is actually not um, talking about family caregivers that would be at foot issue in the PCAFC, but rather it's talking about domiciliary care that would be provided in the veterans' home by VA or by a separate community care provider. But it is is home care. It is home care, but it is not home care from a family caregiver. And and the reason
2: why, what is the basis for thinking it's home care only exclusively without a family member?
1: Um, again, I don't, have, I unfortunately don't Like, is it defined this is somewhere? Yes, in to the, me, but I do point. know that there is a statute that
2: I mean, I didn't see it defined in the regulations, for
1: example. I, I didn't yeah, I mean I'm just getting this information now. So unfortunately I don't okay. have that at my fingertips. I do know that there is a statute that specifically deals with eligibility for domiciliary care which would be eligible for um board review under 20.104 and if it's of any interest the statute is 38 USC 1710, and that does specifically deal with domiciliary care and eligibility for that program. And so we would uh, submit that domiciliary care, as referred to in the regulation, uh, would be referring presumably to that statute and not to anything to do with the um, caregiver program, which, again, just deals with assistance for family caregivers who are already taking care of those veterans and is just providing.
0: This this feels like a really important issue as well, and I think I'm the one who threw it at all of you out of... (laughs) <laughs> left field. I don't think those domiciliary care appeared in neighborhood. So, now I'm going to ask you both. To break it, so. so now we're going to have separate files, but hopefully you can, you can coordinate on the numbers because you guys shouldn't have different numbers, right? right. <laughs> that that part should be right. You shouldn't have different numbers between the two of you on how many more decisions or whatever. But you can each file separately, ten pages, due in seven days. And I'd like to ask you to also tell me what your interpretation of this, these words domiciliary care are. Um, in 104B, and where it comes from, and why you think it does or doesn't include.
1: Okay, the and just type to, to clarify, that would be um, a joint filing, just no, with the statistics.
0: No, okay, oh, yes. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I would love it to be a joint filing on the statistics because you shouldn't have and different statistics. numbers, and I don't want to see different numbers. Yes. And then, um, then how about this? Just give me five pages, double-spaced each, on domiciliary care.
1: Okay, yes, we can do that. Seven
0: days from today. We will provide... Uh, seven days from
1: today. Joint five time. 5 p.m. Yes.
0: 5 p.m. Okay. Close of <laughs> business. Bit. Seven days from today. Nobody's working late around Christmas season. All right. Um, if
1: the court has no other questions, we yeah. just... You would love to leave.
0: Uh, No, no, I'm happy (laughs) to keep arguing
1: that. I I still don't think that they fulfilled the uh, lack of adequate means of relief, but with that, I will respectfully request that the court vacate it.
0: You You all did a fabulous job. Thank you so much. This is a really challenging case, and you both gave excellent arguments.